you guys excuse me for a second? I want to, I just need to take my shoes off here um, for a minute. You know, the, the gingerbread man went to the doctor. His, his foot was hurting him. And he asked the doctor, what, what can I do about this hurt foot? And the doctor said, have you tried icing it? Some of y'all know I, I hurt my foot in that car accident about 13 months ago. And foot, foot, foot injuries are really terrible because they take a long time to heal. How many of you have ever dealt with foot fungus? You know, I really used to hate it, but now it's starting to grow in me. You know, after, the, after that accident, I thought you got the spirit. I went to the doctor after that accident, and uh, she gave me some orthopedic inserts, and I didn't think they were going to work, but now I stand corrected. Would you all stand with me as we honor the Word of God by reading it together. Yes, I am barefoot. It will all come together. Oh, praise the Lord. It's good to laugh. Romans chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 3. Please read with me. Because <laughs> there's a rock up here I'm kicking away so I don't step on it in my bare feet. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good to us. Mm. Lord, we want this to be a house of miracles. We want it to be full of laughter. We want this church, God, to be an outpost of your kingdom, not a reflection of this world. God, we want to be so full of your spirit, so full of your wisdom, your word, your grace, your power, that it overflows out of our lives and it actually changes the culture around us. Lord, we open up your word and we want to hear what it is that your word says to us. Give us ears to hear what the spirit is saying to us today. Lord, I pray that we would be different. We'd be changed. We'd be closer to being in the image and likeness of Jesus today than when we first got here. But when we leave, God, we're not just leaving church, God, but we're taking the Spirit of God with us wherever we go. Jesus, we love you and be lifted high. And everybody said amen. 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 You can be seated. Hey, if, um, if you have not picked up one of these Seek devotional and prayer guides yet, please do that. I think we have some left in the back. And if you have, like, made it through your morning and you didn't get around to 
doing your devotion and you're like, oh, shoot, I have, I have some time. I can do it now, but I don't have this with me in front of me. You can go to our website and you can just uh, put your phone up there and scan that QR code. It'll take you right to the Seek homepage where you can download um, a PDF of this devotional and guide. And I tell you what, for me, we're, this is day eight of 28. And even Wednesday, I shared this, um, that, man, I'm just finding this fast to be cleansing. I don't mean that as a, in a physical way, as like, you know, we're not fasting for physical reasons, we're fasting for spiritual reasons. And if, for any, if there's any kind of physical benefit from this fast, wonderful, praise God, you know, maybe I'll lose a little weight, I could stand to do that. But I'm, what I'm doing in this fast is I'm going after God, I'm seeking the face of God, I'm coming to Him and saying, Lord, I, I want to be shaped and, and molded into the image of Jesus, and I want to have a better relationship with you and hear your voice better than I do now. And God, in the middle of this fast, I'm bringing you some, some petitions and some requests, and God, I expect for you to hear my prayers. I know that He hears my prayers, and so I expect to draw close, and he's going to draw close. We have that promise from the scripture. We have the promise from the scripture that when we diligently seek, that he will reward us. Jesus said, seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened. And man, already in day eight, I just, I just feel, I feel good. I feel good in my spirit. And maybe that's your experience, or maybe your experience is, man, I feel attacked. But don't feel like that, that should be no surprise. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus goes to fast and pray for 40 days. And what does the enemy do? Attack. He comes at Jesus and tries to tempt him. But Jesus was so full of the word of God that he, did, he could resist the enemy. And, and even when the enemy came and tried to twist scripture... At Jesus, And he tried to twist Psalm 91 and try to get Jesus to say, oh, we just throw yourself off of here and the angels will catch you. And everybody will see that, that you're Lord. Jesus is like, no, the scripture says you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. And so I want to encourage you, like combine these three ingredients together, fasting and prayer and God's word. And let's be full of the spirit of God and full of the word of God. And let's expect Help from the Holy Spirit when the enemy comes to try to tempt us and distract us, right? I mean, because what, what's the greatest, we said this last week, what's the greatest currency in our culture today? It's attention. And what's the enemy trying to do? He's trying to grab your attention off of God and onto yourself or onto your circumstances. But you know what? We got to resist that in Jesus' name. So anyway, I just, I'm just so glad we're doing this. This is uh, this season of Seek, and one of the things that we're doing that's part of this is we're doing the School of Prayer on Wednesday nights, and I love seeing so many people show up for that this past Wednesday, and what I especially noticed and loved was seeing all you men show up with your families, with your wives, and with some of your kids, and we had child care for, for some of the younger kids, and we, we came in here, and we worshiped, and we had our teaching, and then we practiced what we learned, and Pastor Lee uh, was giving the teaching, and he was talking about uh, this pattern of prayer that Jesus gave to us in Luke chapter 11. We also see it in Matthew chapter 6. And so 
Uh, if you missed that and you want to try to catch up with us before this Wednesday, you can go to our website, seatschurchtn.com. And when you see the School of Prayer photo come up in the banner, click on that, and it'll take you to where you can download the notes from this last week's teaching. So at, at the end of the teaching, we have, we'll have the notes here in person for you, but if you ever miss a week or whatever, we're going to put the notes on the website for you as well. Well, um, last week we were talking about being a people of pursuit, right? And we're talking about, you know, this is what we're doing here. We're seeking, we're pursuing, but the question is, what are we seeking? What are we pursuing? And I just want to give you these, these primary pursuits that we, I just mentioned to you last week. The presence of God, the transformation of lives, the flourishing of our region, Middle Tennessee, and the inheritance from the nations. And so last week we spent um, a good bit of our time just on this first one, the presence of God. And the, these are the pursuits that have eternal implications for us. And, and so we said that last week that we will be a people that pursues the presence of God with reckless abandon. Can you say that with me right here? We will pursue the presence of God with reckless abandon. Let's try that one more time with some a little bit more togetherness and excellence. We will pursue the presence of God with reckless abandon. We talked about David and how he became king of Israel. His first priority was to go get the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God on the earth at that time. And instead of viewing God's presence as just something to be leveraged, like, oh, it's time to go into battle to defeat our enemies. Let's go get the presence of God. Instead of that, when, instead of you know, going to visit the presence of God when it conveniently fit our schedule, when it was you know, on the outskirts of where we actually live, and okay, it's just kind of inconvenient, but we're going to have to go do this. Instead of that, instead of thinking about the presence of God with that kind of approach, that, that the presence of God is there for us when we need it, but we don't really revolve our lives around it, David took a different approach. He said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're going to go get the Ark of the Covenant. Instead of taking it back to Moses' tabernacle, we're going to take a different turn. We're going to take it to the city of Jerusalem. And we're going to set up a tent, and we're going to put it right here by the palace. Why did he do that? Because he was wanting to make the homes of Israel an altar. And that's what we're doing this year here at Seeds. 2023 is the year where we make every home an altar. Holy Spirit, teach us to be living sacrifices. Teach us how to host your manifest presence in our homes. Why are we doing this? It's for the same reason that David did it. Because he realized there's nothing more valuable. There's nothing more precious. There's nothing more important. There's nothing that will change you more than the presence of God. We've determined that the, the presence of God is not going to be just some nice, warm, goosebumpy feeling that we feel when we come to Sunday worship. No, we're, we're going to make our homes an altar. And instead of treating the presence of God as if it were here to serve us at our convenience, we're going to revolve our lives around the presence of God. And God is going to get the glory for every good thing. He's going to be praised when the sun is shining. He's going to be praised when the rain is pouring. And we're going to make our homes an, 
an altar, even if it's an inconvenience, even if it's a sacrifice to our time and to our finances and to my sleep and to my energy and even some of my relationships and my entertainment, whatever, we're going to put these things on the altar. And you're like, well, you might be thinking sacrifice. (laughs) That doesn't sound very appealing. Well, what did you think an altar was for? <laughs> an altar is for offering sacrifices. You know, it's not for a cool conversational piece. I'm at Tim's house. Dude, let me see your altar. Oh, dude, that's cool, man. I like that. That's great. Where'd you get that? Engraved there. That's cool. <laughs> Altars are for sacrifices. Not because it sounds cool or it looks good on a screen or a t-shirt. Sacrifice, that doesn't sound very pleasing to my flesh. It's not, but it is pleasing to the Lord God Almighty. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 12. He says, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to yourself. No. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I, there's, another, there's another version of this that says that it is reasonable and acceptable to God. Like, this is not some unreasonable thing. It's not like, hey, God, look what I'm doing. We're making our home an altar. Check us out. Aren't we hot stuff? Because we're so special. Look at the great links that we've gone to. No, 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 no. This is like, this is like what ought to be the norm. This is what ought to be like the normal Christian life. Not some special way out there thing. And and then Paul says in verse 2, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How many of you want to know what God's will is and do it? Amen. Well, then guess what? Make your home an altar. Make your home an altar, and that is going to put you on the path to knowing what God's will is and doing it. What does that mean? What does it mean to make your home an altar? It means that with God's help, we're going to take our everyday, ordinary lives, regular life, our sleeping, our eating, our going to work, our going to school, normal everyday lives, and place it before God as an offering. Which means that we actually ask Him how He wants to order our lives, and we do it. And when we do it, we see His hand of blessing on it. Instead of me just living my life however it is that I want and then asking God to come and bless my mess. Instead of doing that, I'm going to embrace his way and his order. Why? Because Paul says it's the best thing that you can do for him. Well, why should we care about that? Well, because he's the God of the universe. He's the king of kings and lord of lords, have we not forgotten? He's the prince of peace, right? He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And he's with him, everything, we read this um, in Romans 11 today, 
where it's to him and from him are all things. Without him, none of this means anything. That's why I want to make my home an altar. Well, tell me more about this making my home an altar thing. Well, good, I will. I'm glad you asked. In order to make your home an altar, revolve your house around the and, and, and hosting the life-changing presence of God, it means that you have to intentionally, on purpose, say, I'm not going to be so well-adjusted to the godless culture all around me that I fit into it without even thinking about it. But instead, I'm going to, on purpose, do things that fix my attention on God which means that might change your cue in Netflix. It might mean that you get up earlier than your normal time. It might mean that it changes your conversations at work. It might mean that during your commute, the radio's not on. It might mean a lot of different things where you're making these adjustments, that you're not just fitting in to just the regular flow of the world, but you're doing things intentionally to fix your attention on God. See, if you, if you just fast during these 28 days without the prayer and without being in the Word of God, you're missing the whole point and the greater benefit. The point is to fix your attention on God. That's where the power comes. That's where drawing closer to God and the benefit of that comes from. And when you do that, your heart and your home are going to be changed from the inside out. If you're going to make your home an altar, then you've got to unreluctantly recognize what God wants from you and then quickly respond to it. I watch these uh, police shows from time to time. You know, and somebody's sitting with the DA, you know, a perp, and they have put an offer out on the table. And I don't know how this works in real life, but in Hollywood, it's a lot of fun. It's entertaining. And they're like, well, here's the deal on the table. You know, like, if you cooperate with us, then we're going to give you this deal. And they're like, well, can I have some time to think about it? Yes. In three seconds. Three, two, one. And they're like, oh, okay, you know, or whatever. That's how I want to be with God. I want to unreluctantly, quickly Recognize and respond to his invitations. Unlike the culture around you that's always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God, his invitations that we need to quickly and readily respond to, they actually mature us and they bring out his best in us as he's shaping us and molding us into the image of Christ. So, all that to say, we're making our homes an altar, and we're going to be a people that pursue the presence of God with reckless abandon. Every home an altar. Can I get an amen? What else are we pursuing? We're pursuing the transformation of lives. We will be relentless in our pursuit of transformed lives. Say this with me. We will be relentless in our pursuit of transformed lives. 
Listen, whether you know it or not, even whether you admit it or not, you are here today because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that can transform anybody's life for eternity. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul writes and he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is in the righteousness, for, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Or the KJV says, the just shall live by faith. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, for the, cross, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. As we read earlier in Romans 10, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why. The scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Seeds. We want beautiful feet. Amen. We want beautiful feet. Earlier I took my shoes off. I know some of y'all are thinking, those are not beautiful feet. But Jesus looks at my feet and he says, I like those feet. Those feet take the good news wherever they go. I like those feet. Jamie looks at my feet and says, you have Fred Flintstone feet. I'm okay with it because if I'm Fred Flintstone, that makes you Wilma. So come on, girl, get over here, you know. Let's get in our car and we'll just, you know. Some of you are all like, you have hobbit feet. But Jesus says, those feet are beautiful. Jesus wants us, the body of Christ in Middle Tennessee, to be known in the Spirit with those who have beautiful feet because we are actively bringing the gospel to every person that we come in contact with, young and old, no matter what the color of their skin is, no matter what the socioeconomic status is, no matter if, if their pronouns line up with what are, is biologically true or if they are confused about their pronouns. It doesn't matter. Jesus came to seek and save everybody, all the lost, and transform all of us into his likeness, into his character, and we're going to adamantly and relentlessly pursue transformed lives at all costs. Why? Because that's what Jesus was all about. So if Jesus was about it, then I'm going to be about it. Tomorrow, in our reading plan in Seek, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, and this, is, this passage is from there, verse 10. Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Self-righteous. God, help me not be that way. When Jesus heard this, he said, well, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. For I have not come to call those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. You guys, the cross is not about God coming down to us to tell us, hey, you guys are good. 
Everything's okay. Good job. Pat on the back. Attaboy. The cross represents the price that was paid for all of us who are not okay who have been dead in our sins, who were enemies of God, who could not fix ourselves, who were destined to spend eternity in hell to be separated from God for for forever and ever and ever. The cross is God's only solution. There is no plan B. It is not one plan among many. It's it. That's it. That's why a lot of people can't get down with Jesus. Jesus is just all right with me. And the doobies. But a lot of people he's not all right with. Because it's like, no, 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 that doesn't sound right. There's got to be more than just Jesus. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 tells us that there is no other name given among men by which anyone can be saved other than the name of Jesus. It is the gospel, the good news, that is the only message that has the ability to transform lives. And that's why we, as a local church, part of the greater body of Christ globally and throughout the ages, on the, we're going to give our lives to relentless preaching, proclaiming, and demonstration of the gospel. There should be more amens. What is the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus died in our place. He took upon himself and became our sins and our shame and our guilt and the curse. But he didn't stay dead because God rose him up. He raised him up from the dead, elevated him above all other names, seated on the throne. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who in here is grateful for the grace of God and the salvation of Jesus? Lord God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for salvation. Someone once said, you can't pardon somebody who doesn't know that they've been convicted of a crime. That's one of the big problems that we're living with in our world today. Nobody wants to confront the issue of sin. Nobody wants to confront the issue of of our separation from God. And I'm telling you, we cannot be cherry-picking Christians. Oh, I like that scripture, but I don't like that one. I'll just just pretend that one's not in there. We'll just tear that page out. Oh, I love this in Romans chapter 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, that feels good. Verse 31, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Yes. Verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. And all of that is true. And I believe it and I claim it and it's part of the gospel. But I can't forget the other verses. I can't. Just ignore them or pretend like they're not there. Even in that same book of the Bible, in, verse, in, in chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says, The day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge our secret lives. Chapter 6, verse 15, since God, I love this verse, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. My, my favorite version of that is, is also King James. 
Should we continue in sin now that grace abounds? God forbid. God forbid. And Paul says, don't you realize that you become slave of whatever it is that you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which which leads to righteous living. Chapter 13, verse 13, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about the ways to indulge your evil desires. Who was this written to? The church in Rome, not the world. It's written to church people, people who say, oh, I'm following Jesus. Some in the church have decided, well, we're going to highlight particular verses that support our choices and our narrative or the choices of the people that we care about. And then they omit the things that don't support the narrative. And I've even heard this. I've even heard this. Well, it was different back then. We, we have evolved, and so God has evolved with us. What? God has evolved? No, no, no. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I mean, even logic and reason have been taken to the dump. And if we in the church are doing this thing, it's like, well, I kind of like this, but I don't like that. If we're going to do that kind of business, then how in the world can we preach and demonstrate the gospel with any kind of conviction or power? It is a powerless church that doesn't preach and believe the whole counsel of Scripture. There's good news and bad news. The bad news to someone who is not in Christ The bad news is that you are sick. You're ridden with sin. You're an enemy of God, and you're destined for spiritual death. But the good news is is that Jesus saves. Jesus rescues. And the same grace and the love of God that came to save you, that same grace and love is present to change you. Grace does not find a man and then just leave him where he is. You're not here today because you're good. You're here today because God is good. And this is what we are going to relentlessly preach. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. Well, you might think, well, of course, J.D., of course we're going to preach that. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Isn't that what churches do? We preach the Bible? Well, the fact is, is that there is a spirit at work in our generation that wants to silence people who talk about sin and and the exclusivity of Christ. And that the wicked spirit wants to silence the voices who preach the whole counsel of Scripture and talk about a literal hell to be avoided and talk about that Jesus is the only way. And in our day and age, if you preach the truth, there is a very good chance that you're going to get canceled. But I would rather be canceled in history than be canceled in eternity.
I would rather be canceled on earth than be canceled in heaven. Everyone thinks that cancel culture is something new. But it's not new for the church. I mean, we have had it pretty easy here in the American church for a good little while. So for us, it's a little culture shock for us, all this cancel, cancel culture business. But for if you look at the, the history of the church throughout the ages, this is nothing new. You know, in the first century, you know how you got canceled for the gospel? They cut your head off. And do you not remember just a few years ago, some believers stood on a beach, some Coptic Christians stood on a beach and were beheaded in our lifetime. It was like seven, eight years ago. We've had it easy, guys. First century, you got your head chopped off or you got thrown in jail or you got put in shackles. Maybe they stoned you. Maybe they burned you at the stake. Cancel culture isn't new. And the cancel culture, like I said, that we're dealing with here in America is just peanuts compared to what our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world have to deal with. And cancel culture, it's not political. There's a spirit behind it. It's a spiritual issue. What it is, it's Satan's reaction to the nuclear transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're not going to be afraid of it. We're not going to be afraid of it. Why? Because where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Romans 5, right? And we've got to be so radically committed to Jesus' desires and his ability to save anybody that we will boldly preach and shout it from the rooftops. Why? Because we believe the word of God. And this just, it's not just about what comes here from the pulpit. It can't just come from here. It's got to be all of us. We have to be a people who believe it. It's time that we live it like we believe it. It's time that we pray like we believe it. It's time that we, we share our testimony and minister to others and invite them to follow Christ as we are following Christ like we believe it. Let's be in pursuit of the one thing that Jesus was in pursuit of. Luke 19, Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. Listen, Jesus found me. Thank God when I was just a child. And I don't know when it was that he found you. But in the same way that he has found me and he has found you, he wants to find everybody in Middle Tennessee. You know, there's 260,000 people that live within 20 miles of where you're sitting right now within 20-mile radius of where we stand and sit right now, there's 260,000 people, and many of them are on a fast track speeding into the eternity without Jesus Christ. And there's even some of them who think that everything's copacetic between them and God, but if you look at the fruit of their life, they're deceived. You can see... 
they're, they're lost. They're lost like a goose in a snowstorm. They don't know which way's up. They don't know which way's left or right. They don't know which way's down. Romans chapter 10, this will be the third time that we read this together. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Seeds, our generation needs us to have a deep conviction and commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are put on this planet for such a time as this. You were put in Middle Tennessee for such a time as this. You were put in this church for such a time as this. Our generation needs us. Would you stand with me as we pray? Lord God, let us be a generation who seeks you, O God of Jacob. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. And who shall go? We, like Isaiah, say, Lord, here we are. Send us. Send us. Come, God, and touch our lips with a burning coal. God, we want to do our part in the end time harvest. We want to do our part in seeing our family and our friends and our co-workers and people that all around us, we want to see them in the kingdom of God. We want to, be, we want to see them rescued from an eternity of damnation. God, use us. Stir us. Draw us close to you. Give us boldness. May we be people of the presence of God who are pursuing your presence with reckless abandon. And God, may we pursue transformed lives, Lord God, at all costs. God, make our homes an altar. And we'll, whatever it is that you're asking to sac, give, you know, sacrifice to you, God, we're going to lay it on the altar. We're going to put it before you because, God, you're, you're worth everything. You are the pearl. And we sell everything for you. God, strengthen us by your spirit, with your grace and your power. Lord, let us not be self-righteous like the Pharisees and say, who is he that's eaten with the scum? God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. God, give us a heart of compassion. Give us a heart of urgency that we would be about your business to seek and save the lost.
Lord, I just thank you for what you've done here in our midst today. We've come to you and we've lifted your name up. We've lifted, lifted up to you prayers of faith. We've prayed for the sick. We've heard your word preached. Spirit, you've moved us. Now, Lord, let us, we, let us continue to respond to you in faith. That tomorrow morning we don't slink back, but we advanced the gospel forward. God, those who are wrestling with timidity or shame, God, I pray that whatever is the source of the root of, of their timidity or shame, Holy Spirit, I pray that you just shine a light on that and share your truth with them that you, through Jesus Christ, have made them the righteousness of God. That if there is sin, that we can confess it and that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, help us live from that truth. God, I thank you, yes, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I thank you that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus who has loved us. And God, I thank you that now shall we continue in sin now that grace abounds. God forbid. Lord, we pray that sin will not rule our lives. We will not be slave to it, but we are slave to you, Lord God. We will obey you, which leads to righteous living. And God, from that, that power and that boldness, God, may we be carriers of your kingdom wherever we go. That God, when we walk into a place, that we have a spirit of discernment and we bring the Holy Spirit with us to minister. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen.